You Can Be Happy Now, a book by Marilyn Carotters, read by Fernando Montes de Oca. I am really enjoying believing this book as I read it. I remember reading the last segment, the first thing. I wasn't believing it. I was a little grumpy. So why do I have to read this? And now that when I got some rest and I read it again, it certainly does make a lot more sense to me that making joy a priority, it's a choice. And to make a joy, I need to say when I wake up in the morning, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, this is the day. So why don't you say that with me? Say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the best day of my life. Because Jesus is Lord over my life. Jesus is my master. Jesus is my teacher. Jesus is my redeemer. Jesus is my savior. I rejoice in Jesus. I say yes and amen. Yes and amen. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. To this day. In Jesus' name. Folks, it's 3.19 in the morning. I've been up from 2.30. I slept for about under six hours. Good to go. All right, let's carry on. Our book review of You Can Be Happy Now. God and Good Medicine. Here is an interesting item that caught my attention. A study compiled and released by a Dr. Michael Murray suggests that an amazing thing happened when people smile. According to Murray, smiling causes changes in the flow of blood to certain areas of the brain. Changes that release endorphins and other important mood elevating compounds. Smiling, he says, can act as a powerful antidepressant that can trigger numerous other health benefits as well. Antidepressant drugs can cause harmful side effects, but smiling can have only good effects on the body. I always knew that when we feel good, we are more likely to smile. Now I realize that the reverse is also true. When we smile, we are also more likely to feel better. Psalms 139.14 says, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The more I learn about the way God designed our bodies, the more I understand that he built his laws within us. When we obey him by rejoicing, we feel better and enjoy better health. 
Our bodies have remarkable self-healing powers that can defeat almost any germ that might invade them. I've seen people live for months in unsanitary conditions that could easily have caused illness, yet they remain well. Deadly germs exist all around us, but our resilient bodies are usually able to resist them. Unfortunately, however, our bodies are often unable to resist the germ of unhappiness. This nasty germ can work its way through our minds and emotions, ultimately affecting our bodies. The good news, though, is that Jesus came to the world to defeat unhappiness. He came to offer us joy and peace of mind. See Isaiah 53, 5. If we want more peace and joy, we can learn to receive it. How? By rejoicing in our confidence that God is working His good in us and for us, and by accepting the joy His Son came to give us. When we do these things, we release God's power to work good for us. If we learn to receive more joy, our spirits will cause the joy to work good things in us, whether we are awake or asleep. This is the way our wise Creator designed us. We are indeed wonderfully made. Unlimited Access If we exercise very little, our muscles will become weak. If we exercise frequently, our muscles will grow and become stronger. There is no partiality in this formula. People who concentrate on improving their muscles increase in strength. They work day after day and year after year to reach their goals. Other people may envy their results, but be unwilling to match their efforts. Spiritual happiness also requires persistent effort. Just as heavier weights develop stronger and better muscles, continuing to praise God for difficulties develops a stronger and more joyful spirit. That's the way God designed our spirits to work. God's formula for human happiness are easy to understand, but often difficult to execute. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice always. Even when we don't feel like it? Yes. Rejoicing during difficult time is the same as lifting heavy weights in order to strengthen our muscles. Did you hear that? Rejoicing in difficult times is the same as lifting heavy weights in order to strengthen our muscles. Recently, I met an elderly man who had the exuberance of a teenager. He repeatedly and excitedly told me how good God had been to him. When I questioned him, he told me his background. When he was three weeks old, his mother died. To keep him alive, his father placed him in homes where he would have food and shelter. The father picked cotton, earning just enough to keep the son alive and enabling him to help whichever family would give board and room to his son. Eventually, the son stayed in 
15 different homes. Finally, when he was old enough to join his father in picking cotton, they lived together in a one-room shack. The man explained, I learned to work in order to stay alive. I learned to appreciate my father's hard work. The more I worked, the stronger I became. We stayed poor, and I was never able to attend school. But I grew up being thankful for everything I had to eat or for any small comfort. I'm still thankful every minute of the day. This man had recently lost the woman he had been married to for 54 years. He spoke of her with joy and thanked God for giving him such a good wife. He expressed no sorrow or self-pity and seemed to have nothing on his mind but the good things that God had given him. This man had no idea who I was. His motivation for talking with me was clearly his desire to bless me with his thankful attitude. Life experiences can work for our, or against us. Again, life experiences can work for us or against us. We make that decision. When we are old, we will continue to radiate the joy or lack of it that we are now establishing in our hearts. Amen. I can whistle. I can whistle. The thrill of developing a new skill can often launch us to a new and exciting level of happiness. We're delighted by our, our sense of accomplishment. When I was five years old, I finally learned to whistle. Did I succeed on my first attempt? Alice, no. I had tried and tried and practiced until one day a weak tweet issued forth from my lips. Success! I remember to this day my elation as I ran to tell my father. As I grew older, I developed and mastered other more challenging skills. I played the guitar and saxophone, became a competent woodsman, and devised techniques for training dogs to come instantly and happily when beckoned. Each new skill I developed increased my confidence and joy. Then came even more difficult challenge, flying. I always had an avid interest in flying, so I enrolled in a flying course. After weeks of demanding instruction, I was finally ready, or hope I was ready, to embark on the required solo flight. Could I succeed in such a new and terrifying endeavor? Yes, I did succeed. God was my co-pilot as we soared through the heavens and finally brought the plane down to a safe landing. Events can be quite exciting when we succeed for the first time. Before I could whistle, I had no realization of how thrilling that experience would be until I was flying alone in an airplane. I could not imagine how that would feel. There was a time when I had never experienced spiritual joy. I didn't even know it was available. Now I realize why God's word says so much about joy. 
he knew that through Christ we have the potential to have ever-increasing joy. But if we have never experienced a joy that keeps increasing, we can't understand it and don't know how to benefit from this free gift of God. I learned how to whistle by trying over and over. I learned how to receive more of God's joy by trying over and over to believe that his joy replaces my unhappiness. At first, I thought I would never understand the mysteries of being happy in an unhappy world. But gradually and with patience, the hidden joy became mine. Now, when I'm tempted to be unhappy about something, I practice believing that his joy is filling me, and it works. I recommend it. Stronger than gravity. In Ephesians 1.19, Paul says, I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe. Most of us have failed more than once when we try to use that verse to solve a severe problem. With all our hearts, we long to believe that God will perform a miracle. But nothing happened. Why? Believing God in such a way that he responds requires patient and persistent development, like whistling or flying an airplane solo. We may need practice, practice, and more practice. In our time, our ability to believe God will grow and strengthen. Amen. Believing God in small ways is learned first, and ultimately, greater victories will flow. Believing God's promises is not passive. It's not for the spiritual lazy. Believing God is active, dynamic. Believing Him changes us and can change things. Once we strongly believe something, our minds can be almost impossible to change. Throughout our lives, we have actually seen Ephesians 1.19 at work. Even when we didn't realize it, how is that? We believe we would not be able to do something and we were unable to do it. We achieve only what we believe we can. Since Jesus healed the blind and raised the dead, isn't it reasonable to believe he has the power to give us joy? But his joy does not come to those who demand, give me joy and then I will believe that I have it. Rather, it comes to those who with childlike faith believe, then say to him, I receive your joy. I have your joy. And go on to believe it so strongly that their faith controls their feelings. Again, say it with me, say I receive your joy. I have your joy. Again, I receive your joy. I have your joy. Now look up to heaven for this last saying, please. Relax and take a deep breath and say, I receive your joy. 
I have your joy. See what a difference when we surrender, relax, take a deep breath. Amen. This scripture declares that rivers of living water shall flow from the innermost being of anyone who believe. John 7, 38. When Jesus walked on water, he demonstrated that the power God releases through our believing him is stronger than gravity itself. The universe with its countless stars is controlled by gravity. Yet our belief in God exceeds all that force. You may need to reevaluate your perception of what believing means and what it can do for you. Remember how incredibly great God's power is to help us. I believe the joy and believing are the same. I believe as you practice hearing the Word of God, reading the Word of God, joy is the result of reading. Peace, joy, laughter, believing. Exercise through reading the Word of God. Cliff Notes. In the right direction. When I was flying a small airplane equipped with no radios, I learned painful but important lessons in navigating. I point the little craft in the, the direction I intended to go, but ended up miles away from my expected destination. What happened? Winds? Though I couldn't see them and often didn't even feel them, they blew me in the direction they were going. I sometimes headed in a direction that I thought would lead me into happiness, but to my dismay ended up miserably unhappy. The winds of my own desires moved me in the wrong direction. It's natural to think that we follow all the right rules, but the rules just haven't worked for us. We may think, these rules might help some people, but not me. Then it is easy for us to rest on our failures rather than find how we could get moving in the right direction. Again, these rules might help some people, but not me. Then it is easy for us to rest on our failures rather than to find how we could get moving in the right direction. When we feel miserable, it's natural to believe we've done everything we could to solve our problems. Then give up. I know because I felt that way too. But then I began to understand just a little about the faith Jesus talked about. He seemed to be saying that a mountain-sized problem was there for a reason. To help us build mountain-sized faith. I started believing that God would take my mountain-sized dilemmas and use them to work out mountain-sized solutions. And he did. He did. Problems can push us in the wrong direction, just as winds can blow an airplane off course. But our faith in God can redirect our course so that we reach our proper destination. 
Okay, let's do uh, calisthenics. Say this with me. Say, I am easily and happily believing God is on my side. Again, I am easily and happily believing God is on my side. One more time. I am easily and happily believing God is on my side. Amen. If you get any resistance from your subconscious mind and starts talking back at what you said, that's beautiful. That's the mountain-sized doubt that's kept you from reaching goals and has settled. So keep saying it so those voices will start to go away. We have been programmed wrongly. When we say, I am, we're taking control of the universe of the God that made us in his image. I am easily, God is easy, and happily, joyfully believing that God is on my side. Amen. Now, that is a mountain-sized goal for us to 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 prepare ourselves to tackle more mountains, to prepare ourselves to tackle more situations around us. God is on our side. We are practicing to believe that, building our muscles, and effectively working towards that. And let us take a journal and start writing the miracles that are going to start to happen. Hallelujah. We are miracle makers. Write that down. I am a miracle maker. Say that with me. Say, I am a miracle maker. I am a miracle maker. I am a miracle maker with God's help. Amen. Boy, I got off. Let's get back to our reading. Where was I? God is on our side. So it's important that we learn to have sufficient faith in him to get us moving in the right direction. Instead of thinking, this situation is so difficult that I will never find a solution. We need to think, rather, God is directing my course. God is directing my course. If you are having difficulty believing that God is actually moving you any direction, don't give up. Keep believing and trusting Him the best you can, and your faith and trust in Him will grow. While flying my first little plane, I sometimes realized that I was lost. My only recourse then was to study a map and keep going in what seemed to be the right direction. I always found an airport eventually, but it was my map that guided me. The Bible, God's word, is our map of life and when consulted with persistence, will always lead us in the right direction. God honors our persistence when we strive to believe his promises and to do our best. Persist and your happiness will gradually increase. You will see that your faith is indeed moving mountains and moving you closer to God. Amen.
Joy is unchristian. Some folks think it's wrong to place so much emphasis on happiness. They equate joy with a vain, frivolous attitude toward Christian responsibilities. But Psalm 1611 tells us that in God's presence there is fullness of joy. Something that is full is, well, full. Overspilling the banks. Jesus' brother, remember how Jesus dealt with everyday problems. James remembered how Jesus reacted when he cut his finger, fell down, or had a disagreement with his brother. James wrote, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. James 1-2. He was writing to persecuted Christians who were experiencing really severe trials. Yet he admonished them to consider those trials as joy. Yes, joy is Christian. Christianity does seem a little strange. Why would God design a world in which joy could be found in such unexpected places as in trials? Perhaps God wanted to demonstrate Christ's words. Only a few will find it, Matthew 7, 14. This verse explains, among other things, that the road of unhappiness is broad and many will find it. But the road of happiness is narrow and less travel. But along this road, God conceals treasures of great value in unanticipated places. He knew that only determined, persistent people would discover them. Are you determined to find more happiness? You can seek God's treasures. Seek the good and narrow path, the path less travel. There will be few walking that route. But what rich rewards you'll find Be prepared to shed your burdens, though, for this narrow path will not accommodate them. But, you ask, doesn't everyone have burdens? Yes, they do. But one man's burden is another man's treasure. A man carrying a glittering 100-pound gold nugget from a mine would probably not consider his load a burden, would he? But if forced to carry a worthless 100-pound boulder, he would likely groan with self-pity the same weight, but a huge difference in attitude. My wife and I, Mary, I visited a gold mine where a miner showed us a hole in the side of a tunnel that was about three times the size of a football. He said... The man who found a nugget in that spot carried it out and never came back to work. I can imagine the radiant smile that he had on his face when he left the dark, dreary mine and hurried toward his new, luxurious life. Our burdens, trials can become our gold nuggets as the power of praise takes place in our hearts. (laughs) Amen. Using pain for good. 
Men of old had time to meditate on spiritual matters much more than we do now. When they traveled from one town to another, they walked or rode a donkey. When Jesus and his disciples walked from town to town, he had many hours to teach them the important things that are now in the New Testament. During ancient times, David heard in his spirit, Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Psalms 5.11 Let them ever sing for joy. As a shepherd, David spent years walking over the hills and valleys of Israel. When he became King David, he was a model of joy. His wife thought it was unkingly for him to dance in the streets. But David was undeterred. However, joy is not the only feeling that God uses to help us become the happy people he desires us to be. C.S. Lewis wrote, God uses pain as a megaphone to get our attention. Pain became an ever-present ingredient in the Apostle Paul's life. Paul wrote that he had a thorn in the flesh. That was a messenger of Satan, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Yes, that's right. Paul's thorn came after God took him into paradise where he saw and heard things that were so awesome he was not permitted to reveal them. Paul prayed fervently for the thorn to be removed, but it was not. This is the same Paul who had the power to raise the dead, yet God didn't answer his prayer for relief. This suggests then that there may be thorns in us that will not be removed. Sometimes God chooses to deliver us from our afflictions, but sometimes in his loving wisdom, he does not. The question then arises, how can I know if God will free me from my thorn or if he will allow it to remain? We do have one helpful guideline for seeking God's help. If we have carefully asked God three times to remove our thorn and he has not done so, Perhaps he has chosen not to remove it. We can revel and complain or we can believe like Paul did that God will use it for our ultimate good. So what are we to do if our thorn, our problem is not removed? I answered that question to my own satisfaction. I know that God will always take my problems and use them for my good. Some readers may disagree, but I cling to what I believe God has lovingly taught me. In 1953, my neck began to hurt as a result of the many times I slammed into the ground after spine-jarring parachute jumps. During three bad landings, I was knocked unconscious. At that time, though, my injuries were no big deal for a tough paratrooper. I could get up return to duty, and forget about it. Airborne soldiers were not supposed to complain about their aches and pains. Injuries were to be carried as a badge of honor. But the pain didn't go away. 
It gradually worked its way down my spine and seemed to affect other organs of my body. But God had used my infirmity to increase my joy. To some that might seem incredibly strange, but I can attest that I know it's true. When standing to speak to a congregation, I often feel guilty. I, feel, I see so many unhappy faces. Yet my own heart is filled with a joy that I can't describe. A delightful warmth surges through my being. Paul described this experience in Ephesians chapter 5 as being drunk, not with wine, but with the Spirit. Your thorn in the flesh may be completely different from mine. Whatever your problem, you too may have prayed more than three times for deliverance. You may have been tempted to question God's love for you. Like it or not, you still suffer. Your family and friends may not understand why God hasn't healed you or fixed your problem. Whatever the cost of your problem, there is an answer. Paul gave it in two, 2 Corinthians twelve nine. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. As a result of our right responses to our problems, God often, God often increases our joy, giving us greater spiritual strength. See Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. Overcomers. Overcomers of what? Everything? Excuse me. How could anyone be an overcomer of everything? The word overcomer kept coming to my mind, so I knew there was something I was supposed to learn. I knew I certainly wasn't an overcomer of everything. The neck injuries I had received as a paratrooper and World War II had caused me considerable discomfort. Will I allow pain and unhappiness to prevail, or will I, through Christ, be an overcomer? Will I worry about the problem or rejoice? As I meditated on the scriptures that pertain to overcoming, I see how many times God chooses to use this term. Revelation 21.7 gives us a strong exhortation. He who overcomes will inherit all things. All things. Says all things. Now, that was the message I needed to see. Perhaps you do too. He who overcomes will inherit all things. Revelation 21.7 there may be a multitude of things that we have not yet learned to overcome. But what progress towards that end could we make if we really tried? As life piles on the disappointments and pains, physically and emotionally, we are increasingly in need of learning to overcome. One summer when I was a young man, I spent considerable time riding in a horse drawn wagon 
while shoveling cow manure on a farmer's field. I wasn't raised on a farm, so the sight and smell of manure were new to me. It looked ugly and smelled even worse, but the farmer assured me that the manure causes corn to grow and that his corn would feed many hungry people. Imagine that, something ugly and smelly working for good. Now I'm learning that pain is like manure. It can cause good things to grow in us. We don't like having it applied, but it does work if we use it properly. There are many reasons to encourage us to learn to be overcomers. I said, or he said, there are many reasons to encourage us to learn to be overcomers. But I believe one reason stands out above others. Revelation 3.21 says, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Wow. Beautiful, wonderful word of God. Okay, repeat after me. I am an overcomer because I am born of God. I am fruitful in overcoming because I am born of God. I am tenacious in overcoming because I am born of God. I am a world overcomer because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I am a world overcomer. Amen. Thank you for saying that exercise with me. Let me read Revelation 3.21 again. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. Amen and amen.